What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What what on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, yep. and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy mm-hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, yep, you could probably send them to Dancroft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen this set up online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with a pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canineceuticals from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. Yeah. How, do you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canineceuticals, but Can- legit, it's probably the best supplements available. Best for supplements available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand. So if people want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise, they can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking caninesuticals and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is his social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a I, – I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around so I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart, Coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yep. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. The goat. The billy goat's gruff. Mine's a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> the wiener himself. <laughs> Ironswick Dog Quip. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. If not from Furman, Ironswick Dog Quip. The Irons a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You correct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. Ironswickdogquip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. one of them. It just, we'll put it in the it show out. Yeah, put it, you, yeah. You'll click. You'll find a link. You'll buy some stuff. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And we're here in the studio today after you've been out working dogs and I had a little nap. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I don't fall asleep during the show. I had the NDTF group today. It was a good day, but it was a long day. And uh, I came in, I was sitting down, I was looking at something on the computer and I nodded off. Yep. Totally neglected coming out and even saying hello to everybody at training. You were missed. I missed you guys. (laughs) How embarrassing. (laughs) Having a a grandpa nap. Sometimes you need a little lie down. You do need a little nap. Yeah. Yeah. We used to call that in the army a Lima Lima Delta, a little lie down. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. A little lie down. It's like your Freddy Fadeaway. It's not a Freddy Fadeaway though. What is it? AJ Fadeaway. AJ Fadeaway. Yeah. AJ Fadeaway and a- LLD, the Lima Lima Delta. A little lie down. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I don't know when this will come out, but interesting week in social media land. With Mr. Larry (laughs) Crane. Got fiery, Larry. I missed the actual live when he first put it on. I saw that he'd done a live and usually I check out Larry's stuff, you know, uh-huh. like he puts up some interesting content. Yep. I like Larry, I support Larry and I like to follow along and see what he's talking about. And it just so happened I was eating lunch at the time and I was due to go to a meeting. I was at the bench and I put the phone down and I opened it up and I was listening away while I was making some lunch so I could head out the door. Sure enough, it got fiery pretty quick. Larry literally lit up on something that really upset him. What he got upset about, I'll let you guys go to Larry's channel and you can have a look yourself or even talk to Larry about it. He's pretty peeved at some of the comments that people made in the dog training world, which I've got to say, it's very easily done with what some of the people out there say and do sometimes. It can Mm -hmm. really get your blood boiling. One of the points I'm going to make about this is I admire Larry for being able to speaking his truth, being able to say things unrestricted when he gets annoyed about stuff. That's what I find and I understand why, but that's why I find is very restrictive in communication these days. People can't talk their truths anymore. Mm. There's too much litigation. There's too much you're a bully or you're a mean person or you're a horrible person. Like you get beaten up a fair bit in social media if you say what's on your mind. Mm. People can push you right to that point. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about the sarcastic, nasty, mean-spirited shit that other people can say. But when you speak your truths, all of a sudden you become the monster that they wanted to beat up on social media. Mm. But, and I'm not going to say that Larry was 100% in the right because I don't know. I don't know if he was 100% in the right. I'm not sure what, what that was about that. But I still appreciate the fact that if he was so annoyed about what somebody said, he feels, I guess empowered is probably the right word for it. If you feel empowered enough to be able to speak up about it and say with conviction how annoyed you are at somebody and call them out over it, that's pretty impressive sometimes. Mm. I think what's interesting is... What triggered it was Larry was at a a seminar and there was a, I don't know all the details and he didn't give all the details, but I think that someone got charged a lot of money for a dog that didn't get the training that it was apparently paid for. Mm. And I think that in itself is super interesting because being an unregulated industry, we're in a weird zone, Mm. right? There's no one to police us really. We really don't want to be policed. We don't want government reach down into the dog training world. I don't anyway, because it will be bad. Whatever they do, it will be bad. Give me an example of where the government have imposed regulation on something else and it's been fantastic. And so I'm concerned about if there were government reach down, no matter which government, no matter where you are in the world, whatever, if they start stipulating what dog training has to look like, I think that we'll be in trouble Mm. because that'll be politically motivated and it won't be with the interest of animals. It'll be because of some issue motivated group that had the sway at the time. I think that it's really interesting for us that we do as an industry have to police ourselves to an extent. And I think that through doing that, we have to hold ourselves, industry members, community members to a fairly high standard because we are policed sort of in terms of animal cruelty, right? Mm. So yeah, we spoke about it the other week, those chicks that were clearly abusive, you know, abusive. Yep. and the cops come in and they're going to get charged and whatever happens with that, who knows long-term, but we all saw photos of them in orange jumpsuits. We all saw mugshots. So like, we're like happy. Okay. So like that was done. And that that's in my opinion, good reach down. That's mm. good government imposition. I'm happy with that. But what would be really scary would be if any government anywhere started telling you and there's parts of Europe where this is the case, right? Yeah, of course. But where they start saying, this is the way that a dog has to be trained. 
And then as a business, you would then have to, you know, apply for a license to be a part of that. You would have to demonstrate that you have the skill set and you would have to answer the questions the way that they would want the questions answered. And so part of the issue is, you know, in Germany, for example, I was having this conversation with Patrick Lockett when we were in the States. Mm. And so like in Germany, there's a knowledge test that has to be done to become a dog trainer, to have a license, to have a dog training business. And the way that those questions have to be answered is not necessarily the way you and I would train a dog. It's not a balanced trainer's questionnaire, right? It's mm. like, you know, given these parameters, how would you train that? And so if you want the license, you have to agree, at least in theory, you have to write down and they have your signature on your test saying, this is how you would train a dog. And so I think that's really problematic, right? Like we don't want to be pushed into a corner like that where we as an industry are being governed by a real government body that is then telling us how we can do things, the standard that we have to train to, how much we can charge, the type of training that we have to do and what dog training looks like, because that's not going to go well. Mm. Like I can paint a picture where that goes great, but that's just not how it's going to go. Like we know that like in an ideal, in an ideal world and anybody that sort of thinks that's a good idea, we would hash it out And we say like, this could be great. We could regulate things and and hold people to the highest standard. We could demand a certain level of education and the consumer would know for sure that they're getting a good product because they're government certified or whatever. On the outside looking in, that would be fantastic. But for us within the industry, we know that that would be a disaster Mm. if it happened Mm. because what would be legislated would be nonsense. And we know that there's nuance and that there's detail and there's minutiae that just isn't available to be legislated in that way. And we also know that because of the influence of the crazy groups, it's all going to be purely positive type stuff. And even if it is something where you are allowed to use an electric collar or a prong collar or something in an aversive case, then the problem with those sorts of laws and, and restrictions on tools and stuff like that means that It becomes self-fulfilling prophecy that an e-collar can only be used like a hammer because you have to have tried everything else. And by that time, the behavior has escalated to the point where the aversive experience the dog's going to have to be delivered will be significant. Mm. And then people will see. And then, you know, they'll say that only in certain extreme cases are you allowed to use an e-collar, say in like predation type thing, sheep killing dog and stuff like that. But everything else has to be tried first because that's their bizarre definition of lemur. And so that behavior will have been strengthened like crazy in the trying of everything else that doesn't work. Mm. And then by the time you get the special permission to use the e-collar, like as is the case in parts of Europe, then it's going to have to be a very high level and a very aversive experience to the dog because of how strengthened the behavior is along the way, rather than if you just went to a guy and was like, hey, I'm having issues with my dog chasing sheep. And they'll be like, oh, we can fix that today and it'll be no big deal. Right. And Mm. And the experience to the dog would be, just a minor thing because he's not that committed to the behavior yet. So like there's all these issues of what would happen, I think, if we were formally regulated in any way, shape or form. The other issue that sort of pops into my mind about that is the broad spectrum of the dog training industry as well. Like how could you possibly have any government body that could possibly be across all of that and say that if they're going to regulate how a police dog can be trained, who can do it, how they can do it, where they can do it, that kind of stuff. And then that same body is going to regulate how a farm dog, a Kelpie that rounds up sheep for a real job, not like does it for fun with somebody on the weekend, but actually does it like how he's going to be trained. Like how could you create a department that's across the full spectrum of all of that, Mm. right? So it just couldn't be done. It couldn't be done well. It couldn't be done in a way that would serve us as an industry. So as a result, we're left with nothing but self-policing. And I think that becomes really tricky because – how the fuck do we do that, right? Like how do we as an industry hold ourselves to a high standard considering that we have such a broad spectrum of people within the industry? My understanding of what Larry was talking about and I really support is that somebody paid a lot of money and didn't get what they thought that they were getting. Mm. And I think that's something that all of us as an industry should be outraged at no matter the path to doing it. Don't worry about the training mechanism. Don't worry about all of that stuff. If someone's going to pay a ton of money for a dog and the dog is not what they paid for, we as an industry should be all angry about that because it reflects poorly on all of us and it puts all of us at risk for that legislation that could come in place of that. Mm. 
But how do we do that? And the issue is as well, people are often not honest, you know? So like you and I, for example, we for sure had people who've come to us and said, oh, this trainer did this to my dog and wrecked the dog. And you're like, no, they didn't. You've wrecked your own dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they exactly. throw the blame out. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's happened to me, especially with other trainers similar to me, people, I've had plenty of people come to me and say, because they're like a competitor of mine in the dog training space, I've had people come to me and say, thinking that I'm going to get on board when they shit mouth this person and say, this person did this, this, and this. And I'm like, hey, we might train dogs differently. We might be in the same space and me and that person might train dogs differently. But like, I respect them as a peer. I don't believe that they did that Mm. because I know them and I'll message them now. There's plenty of people around the world that I hold in high regard and I wouldn't train the dog the same way that they do. But given the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with them, sit down, have a coffee and talk life and business and whatever, I will absolutely jump on that. Mm. And so then when people have come to me and they say, oh, this trainer did this and it wrecked my dog. And it's like, I doubt that. I doubt <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I doubt that very much. I yeah. think that you probably wrecked your own dog. That's the tricky position that we're in. And I'm not sure of the answer. I don't know how we move forward from this and continue to protect ourselves while also sort of policing ourselves. I don't know what the mechanism is. Being really honest with ourselves and others is probably a good first step. Mm. From there, I don't know. Mate, it's a very tricky puzzle to try and solve, one that many heads have been over for many years. Addressing an earlier point that you brought up about the government overreach, that's something that is alarming to all of us. Everybody in the industry who's been around for a while or who cares or has been involved in a community that we're involved with, the sad thing is and the distressing thing is the writing is on the wall for something terrible to happen down the track somewhere. Yeah, It's only a matter of time because we keep being so complacent and compliant with all this overreach going into our communities just in general. Mm. It's eventually going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime. I hope there's enough legacy within the communities that I've been involved with, the people in the past, the people in the present, and quite frankly, the people that are coming into the future that they will stand in the way and say, you motherfuckers don't know what you're talking about. All you're doing is just trying to put governance in place for the sake of putting governance in place. Because eventually, if people do step in with these mindsets, goodbye dog sports. Mm. I mean, they'll be first to wiped off. Yeah. Then goodbye working breeds. Yeah. Because there'll be no need for them. And I'll just say, well, these dogs are basically a community nuisance and there's no real need to have a dog of this sort of calibre. Mm. I mean, I called it a while ago and it's been an interesting conversation I've had with people and an unpopular one, but I called it a while ago where I said it's only a matter of time before Malamars become the next pit bull, the Mm. next dog that's in scope of being focused on as being a negative breed. Right now, there's a lot of working dog people that have them, but I've never seen the Malamar, like it's moving like crazy through the communities at the moment. Mm. More people that I wouldn't have thought would ever have considered a Mal even just as a pet, and now getting them as pets. That's a little bit of a concern. That's a red flag for the community of working dog people. They're probably one of the very last breeds that have been unhindered by breeding practices, the show circles. Yeah, I got a little beat up a while ago about people being mad at me for saying, you know, Roddies have been compromised and Shepherds are being compromised. Largely they have. Yeah. Largely they've been mutated from being one type of breed into a different type of breed where there's no working capability really left in those dogs anymore. There's some around. Mando's showing some promise. I don't know what he's going to be like as an adult. Some of his lineage is quite good. Some of the dogs that he's come from are quite good. There's promise and there's scope there. But I don't know what he's going to be like yet because he's still six months old and he's a baby. Mm. Finding good working rotties now, they're unicorns. They've been driven out of the industry. And, you know, a lot more people are more favourable for the Malamars now. They've got more endurance. They're more capable of doing a lot of work that some of these other breeds are no longer desirable for in that type of work. There's reason that some of them fell in and out of vogue with some of these applications, but a large part of it as well is they're not capable of doing it. That's why the applications of their availability are not desirable anymore. Like Mm. the Shepherd who was the number one reigning dog in the world for a working dog, especially when I was a a younger guy, they've literally gone by the wayside now. Mm. There are still shepherds being used and there are still good ones being produced out there by people who are focused in the working role. But getting back to my earlier point, 
is all of these dogs will, at some stage, when the government overreach starts, when we allow it to happen, when people keep demanding for you know, an overlord to rise and come to power and get all the communities to unite, they will say, well, we don't need these type of dogs in the community anymore. Yeah, People probably get sick of me saying this, but it still needs to be said nonetheless. There are welfare groups out there, and we've named them before. There are welfare groups out there who have it on their ongoing myopic mantra to eliminate all of it, Mm. like all of it gone, domestic pet ownership finished. So they are chipping away at this all the time. They're constantly doing it. It's a machine that never shuts down. It's constantly running, heavily funded, backed by celebrities, backed by people all around the world, and they don't stop, they don't sleep. That Mm. fucking machine keeps humming. As a community, this is distressing. I know it's, it's a bit negative, but we still have to think about this as a strategy because if we're complacent with this, and we often are, apathy is something that happens a lot in our community, we become more reactive to things rather than active. But that's hard to stay active because for some reason, nobody wants to well-fund the other side of it. Like there is no organisation that's well-funded on the other side of it. There's no membership group that's well-funded on the other side of it. Being a part of the ICP directorship for a period of time that I was involved in, and that's one of the things that I encourage people to do. Let's rally under an organization. Yeah. And let's even create governance under that organization. Not so it's invasive, but so it's helpful and protective. And that you can establish a network and a community of peoples with specialty groups that deal with herding dogs. Mm. Let's have a committee that works with that breed. They understand them. They talk the same language. They know the communities. They know who they are. They know who they want to talk to. Let's get the working sports people and do the same thing. Build that up. Yeah, I know we're stubborn fucks. We agree to disagree on so many options all the time. We create problems for ourselves. Yeah. But I'm sure, given the right people, that we can develop a system, not so it's invasive, not so people are peering into your life, not so people are telling you what you can and can't do, but advising on industry best practices so they can sit down together at a table with a common goal and common ground. They can listen to the public. It can be debated and spoken about, but ultimately coming up with good solutions where they can say to the government, listen, you motherfuckers, we've got a good group of people, a very disciplined group of people, a very wise council that really understand this culture and exactly what the needs are. We've got our finger on the pulse here. So you can go away and fix roads and build economies and develop better educational programs for our children and a better future for ourselves and so forth. We'll take care of the dog side. Yeah. And if you want to come and check in with us and talk to us like normal people, rather than being invasive in our lifestyle, let's talk about that. But we will work with our communities. The best people to govern the dog industry are the dog people themselves. But I'm telling you right now, people, for the people who listen to this, if we don't at some stage get our skates on and get behind a major international canine organization, like a body, this could be combined with different groups, one that governs Europe, one that governs America, one that governs Australia, where you can have a council or a body corporate that all comes together under a banner and says, we represent Europe, we represent the United States. We represent the Asian community. We represent, what do we call ourselves? The oceanic community. And we can all come together. How good would it be? Well-funded, well-set-up, well-established. We can use it for educational. We could use it for developing a mindset. And we can create a punishment system for people who breach. For those people like that you were talking about earlier, the law will still punish them, but we can talk about better standards and better establishment and exactly advising people on what is the right and wrong thing to do. Mm. And that happens by a well-established, sound mind group of people. Yeah, that's the function of those professional organisations. That's why I'm in the ISCP. It's why I keep hounding so many people to join. I'm sure people are sick of us carrying on about it. But realistically, the IACP is the best option of the professional organizations that are out there. It's mm. the only one that supports balance trainers, right? So it's the one to go for. Realistically, we need like 100,000 members. You know what I mean? We need sort of internationally almost everybody who trains dogs to join that so that it has some power. That's one of the things that's interesting to me when people are like, oh, you know, why should I? Like, what do I get from it? Like the membership is 120 bucks a year or something like that, right? Like, what do I get from it? Measuring it and sort of what's deliverable to you is one thing, 
But I think the way you really should measure that $120 is like what you were protected from, what didn't happen because you're a member mm. rather than what you get from being a member. It's what didn't happen. Yeah, what happens if you're not a member and what happens if there's no funded organisation that can employ a legal fraternity to yeah. fight for you when there's injustice going on. Exactly. And so that's the thing, like I would say, if the IACP, for example, had 100,000 members mm. and they're all paying their 120 bucks a year or whatever it is, that's a big chunk of money to employ staff. And now they have staff that can act as lobbyists, lobbyists and they have people that can write policy and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure that that organisation would be doing a great job of self-governance. For sure it would. But what's important more than even doing it is look like you're doing it so that when the government decides that, hey, we're going to reach down or when they look and they see a problem and they say like, hey, who's in charge of that? Someone else can just put their hand up and say, well, we've got it. We're self-governing. And that person who is dealing in unethical practices, we're going to kick them out. By not being a member of our organization, they're now outside of the industry. And so that at least is a form of punishment that they can deliver that means that at least that governments can look at that and go, okay, well, something's been done. Somebody has got control of that. We don't have to reach down. We don't have to get involved in that. Somebody else has taken control. So I think that is the function of professional organizations. That's exactly what happened. You know, you would remember actually down in Melbourne is the same thing with SLED, like what came in with the security industry. You know, it was volunteered to join that organization, right? But then it became the law, like you have to join that organization. Mm. And they they then were providing governance for quite a while over the security industry before eventually it got rolled into a government department. And I think that's the sort of risk of us not having a strong organization, a single strong organization that eventually like governments want reach down and they're like, who do we reach down to? There's nobody. Okay, well, we have to create. And what they will create will be a disaster. So they need to look down and say like, oh, here's a big, strong body. And for 10, 20 years, you guys can govern yourself. But then eventually you get rolled into being a, a department of whatever government that's doing it. And then at least things will remain the same and the people will be from within that organization. You now have like government powers or whatever. And that's the sort of, you know, 20, 30 year plan that has happened in other industries. Like that has played to completion in other industries mm. and will happen in ours but we need that body. We need that organization. Because to go back to sort of the original point was you know, Larry did that live and he's a well-respected person in the community with a large following, right? Mm. And he was pointing out something that is a problem for the industry and is that people paying money and not getting what they bought, essentially. Normally, Within other industries, there's guidelines on what you charge and the deliverable for what's going on. We don't have that. And I don't want it, but I think that as a result, we as an industry have to sort of hold ourselves to a higher standard and start saying to people like, hey, man, you can't be charging people X amount of dollars and not delivering what you're promising. On the subject of what Larry was getting upset about, which was largely about marketing in the industry versus actual competency, mm. competency versus capacity mm -hmm. is two different things, largely two different things. I must say that I've remarked on this myself several times, and I still think it needs a little bit of attention when you actually look at some of the clown show that goes on on social media sometimes, mm -hmm. where there are literally people who are just professional entertainers. All they're doing is entertaining people. And that's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not here to tell people what you can and can't do. But some people are entertaining and they are as hollow as hollow when it comes to delivery. They have really no place advising people on some of the scope that they're advertising they can. How do I know that? Because I'm one of the people that they reach out to and say the same thing that they've said to Larry. I've paid this person three or $400 for an hour private lesson and I'm more confused than ever because they're basically delivering nonsense to me. Mm. It's a program that is promised by somebody who's in their first year. Yeah. They don't know what they're talking about. They're very excited about being in the industry. I'm not upset about that. I love it that people are happy to be in this industry and they want to be in it and they want to support it and they want to learn and they want to go on to do great things. Again, you know, it's not my place to tell people what to charge other people. I've had NDTF people saying to me before, when I finish the course and I get my certification, what can I charge? And I'll say the best way to answer that question is do an investigation on what the industry is 
offering now. Have a look at what other people are charging versus their experience and then decide for yourself. It's not my place to tell you what to charge. Mm. I can give you a recommendation, but, you know, you might go away and go home and say, well, fuck you, dude, you know, like you undersold me for that. But some of these people who get in the industry who literally have just left one job, done a small course or done a bit of online content and then rushed off into the industry and charging maximum amount of dollars for it and are confusing the hell out of people, that's not a sustainable industry. Mm. That's an industry that starts to cannibalize itself. Yeah. Suddenly you've got groups of people out there who are just thinking that's what the industry charges, so why can't I? And again, there's no governance to say you can't. You can. You can do it. There's really no literature out there to say that you can't. I was talking to Narelle the other day about working in the natural health organization. And Narelle always goes off the guidelines of what the industry recommends. In some of her capacity, she's leagues ahead of a lot of other people, like leagues ahead. She's very science-based, very factual-based. And she will also go to mentors if she needs mentors, like she's doing that. But she won't put herself above what the industry primarily promotes. But they have got a healthy industry where they say, at this level, this is what you should be charging your clients. Mm. To be fair to other people, she never prices herself outside that. Now, I think she should because I think she's more valuable than that. Mm. So do her clients. They can't believe they're getting a bargain when they end up doing a a session with her or or doing a health plan with her. But the industry in dog training is not like that. The Mm. industry doesn't really have a suggestion or a regulation. It primarily is just open to say, well, go for it. Do what you want. There's a bigger conversation in that about marketing skills versus dog training skills. Mm. It's a tricky one, right? Because a lot of people these days, like younger people, let's say, what are they called now? The ones below millennials or or is it just millennials? I don't know. I don't even know. That are in their 20s. Yeah, I'm not sure what they call them. See, like they were the, raised- The COVIDies. Yeah. <laughs> but like they were raised with social media, yep. right? And so for me- I got Facebook, I think, in like 2007 or eight, something like that. Mm. And when it was, you know, everybody was kind of getting it then, right? And I kind of was in the army for a long time. So I really used it just as a really in the original purpose, right? Like as a social networking kind of thing and and to stay up to date with people and have, have friends all around the world more so now than ever. And the point was to stay in contact with these people in a way. And it was really amazing that you could do that. Social media now has just become this crazy ads platform. It's wild to think about the way that, you know, I was not in the industry really when it was a thing, but like imagine you were holding a seminar here. If there was no social media, how would you let people know, right? Like Mm. you had to go to the dog clubs and ask to put up a poster. Yeah, take flyers. Yeah, you had to sort of go to the places where the people would be and, and do that rather than sort of like in the forums like we have now, right? And there was probably like, notice boards, the online stuff like dogs online and stuff like that, the chat forum things where Mm. you could get information out, but it wasn't the same as it is now. You couldn't pay to advertise it. You couldn't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I think for me, I'm kind of a little bit in two worlds. Like I've been on social media from the start and I now have a business that relies on social media. We are, we're talking to fucking microphones right now. We're a social media platform. We're totally doing it. And so I think- so like I kind of put myself in both camps in that I think I'm a pretty good dog trainer. I think that I'm the real deal. Like I think that I can deliver on what I say that I can. What do your clients say? For the most part, they say the same, right? They agree. I, yeah. I, I get good reviews. That's right. You are the sum of what your clients give you feedback as. And it's not based on just worship and empty vesseling. Yeah. It's actual results based. Like when you teach somebody, it's tangible because you can see replication of that with the handler that you're working with. Yeah. It's not just someone that says, oh, I got to spend time with Pat Stewart and I adore him. So holy shit, that was just enough for me to pay money to. Yeah. And that's happening in the industry. That's the issue where people like Larry get mad. Yeah. Is it's based on just the image of somebody being on social media and yeah. then somebody throwing $500 at them and then getting, I've just given them $500. But but so that's the problem, right? So is that I think that I feel like I can you know, talk about myself. I put myself in both categories. I know how to use social media. I don't have a giant following. I don't want or need one, but I know how to use it. Part of my day job currently is doing that professionally. I know the right tags. I know how to use all the search things. I know how to find what people are looking for. I know how to deliver the content that they want. I know how to do all that kind of stuff. And so for myself, I do that a little bit, right? I know like just to keep a, you know, a presence, Mm. 
and I can drive traffic. And if I wanted to say, if I opened a facility and wanted to fill it, like I'd know how to fill that fast. I have the skill set to do that. Even if I were dog shit with the dogs, even if I didn't know shit about how to actually run a dog training facility and the things that need to be done there, I could have customers coming out of there very quickly because I know how to market. Yep. But I think the issue is there's a lot of people who have been raised knowing how to market. They've been watching marketing evolve and they learn it in school, like in high school, like Mm. things that it's super interesting. I was helping my niece a little while ago do a, a school project and it was like a video editing thing and they had to do an interview and all this kind of stuff. And I was helping her do it, but like that was not a thing when I was in high school. Not there at was all. we had computers was a like an elective that you could do. The idea that you would have a like there was one room in the school that had six computers in it. And yep. It was an elective that you had to do, and you had to use this stupid program with a little turtle that you like. You like learned how to code <laughs> by telling this turtle it would turn left and right, and you had to draw a picture. Like yep. it was total dog shit, like rudimental stuff. Yep. But now, not only are people being raised on social media, they're learning in school and it's really easy. There's heaps of online opportunities to learn how to use it to maximize sales and to monetize anything, really. And people are fucking good at that. Mm. And I think where we're in trouble in our space is people who come into it who are really good at that, but then don't have the delivery. The problem is- we do have a lot of people who are really good at both. Take, for example, at the ICP conference, I was hanging out with Nino, mm-hmm. right? And spoke to him. His Instagram is fucking great, right? And I said to him, who does all that? And he's like, oh, I'll do it myself. I film it. I edit it. I enjoy doing it. And next thing we're talking editing and that kind of shit, right? So like, it's interesting because he's got the skill set and he can market himself, but there's plenty of people who just have that marketing skill set, but then it's empty delivery. Mm. But there's also plenty of people who go the other way who are fantastic at the delivery, but couldn't market themselves for shit. So we have the full spectrum within yeah, our we space. Do, yes. And when we get angry, like this is a, what I think we have to be really careful of when we start talking about all you people who are doing all this marketing and all this, well, fuck you. Like you're too interested in the business side. Well, people have to pay their bills. You Mm. know, people have to make a living. And if your delivery is good, if you're able to do it, power to your market, like a motherfucker, go crazy, develop an online package that has an infinite sale capability, like do all that kind of stuff. Like when you actually can deliver the content, what we tend to see is it's people who don't have a capacity to do that at all because they haven't invested the time, right? Like I think that there's people who just kind of left behind on it, who are mad at the fact, like, how come I don't have a big following? I'm a fantastic dog trainer. And it's like, well, because you have to put in the work to get that. To get a big following, you have to put in the work. And people say, oh, I'm not interested in doing that. And that's fine. You don't have to, but don't get mad at people who do. There's that, but I think there's one word which summarizes it for a lot of other people, which is integrity. Yeah. And that's the missing coin purse where people are focusing on is the lack of integrity with some of these people. Mm -hmm. Like I agree with you. There are people who have to put milk and bread on the table. If they've got that in abundance because they're good at their job, they're good at marketing, they're good at dog training. Well, you're talking about somebody who has plenty of integrity and power to you. Go nuts. You deserve it because you're good at marketing, you're good at dog training, and you can give your customer value for money. Exactly. You're not fucking up dogs. You're not causing a shitstorm. You're not just churning out more problems than are coming to you. I think, again, getting back on track with what Larry and others are concerned with and I have been concerned with in the past, there are people that are coming to other people with genuine problems. They're getting charged the eye teeth for it. And then not only are they not fixing that problem, but they've just created a whole new range of other problems totally. for themselves as well. Totally. And therefore that person, all they could have done was just taken $500 out of their pocket, burnt it, punched themselves in the face and thrown themselves down a set of stairs. <laughs> like literally that's pretty much where they got left yeah. with, with this person. There literally are people out there who just do not give a fuck about them. Yeah. They don't give a fuck about the industry and they don't care about dogs. Yeah. I think- We're always super careful, you know, not to use names. And that's a problem because you get left wondering who they're talking about, right? It's a tricky thing to navigate. It is a tricky thing because, like I said, it's a legislation thing where once they engage a lawyer, their lawyer is just hell-bent on making money for themselves as well. So 
I'll listen to somebody else have a similar conversation to this, mm. right? And I'll hear someone say, just because someone's good at making reels doesn't mean they know shit about training a dog. And I immediately think they're thinking about me. Really? Like immediately. Why would you do that? Well, because I'm good at making reels, <laughs> right? But, but, but here's the thing. But you can back it up. You're proven. No, but this is the thing. I think that for the most part, when you put out a blanket statement and you say there's a bunch of people who they're fucking liars, they just put out good social media content, they're really very hollow. If you think that they're talking about you, they're not talking about you, right? Mm. Because it's the people who kind of know that I'm just doing this and they're not in the space. Mm. And I think as the dog industry, we get quite mean to each other. I film all my seminars yep. and I speak candidly with the people that are in there. And if I want to cut a piece of that to put online or make a YouTube video or whatever, when I watch that back, I am so fucking critical of myself because I'm like, man, I was talking to 50 people in that room or a hundred people in that room that day, but I'm going to put this online and an untold thousands of people is going to get to watch it. Mm. It's so hard for me to find even a 10 minute section where I 100% agree with myself where I can watch it start to finish and then cross-reference from what I said at the end to back to what I said at the start and have no gaps in anything that I said and just go like, that's watertight. Like, okay, I'm happy to put that out. That's really hard for me to do. It's because I'm trying to produce a good product that will stand the test of time and stand some scrutiny as well, Mm -hmm. right? And the tricky part as well is like when you film live events, you throughout it have sort of words and jokes and things like that, that without the rest of the context may not be fully understood, right? So anyway, my point is that we create this content, but the content that I create is for other dog trainers for the most part, Mm. or at the least dog training enthusiasts. So I feel like I have to put myself under that extreme level of scrutiny because I should be scrutinized to that level. I really should be because I am attempting to educate people who are already very highly educated. Mm. And I'm happy to receive that scrutiny. I I do it to myself because I know others are going to do it to me and I'm happy to, I'm happy to have that. But what I think happens in our space quite a lot is that people apply that same level of scrutiny to others who are just trying to educate and inform and build a following of the general public. Mm -hmm. And as dog trainers, we often, because if you usually fit the marketing funnel of your competitors, clients, so like your Facebook profile looks like you should be the client of one of your competitors. So your competitors' ads will come up in your feed, Mm -hmm. right? If they're targeting correctly, they should be targeting you because you're in the area, you're interested in dogs, all those kinds of things. The algorithm can't quite figure out that you are a dog trainer already, but it knows that you fit the profile of a person who would be interested in one. Yep. So your competitors' ads come up. And I see people like being horrendous about the level of the content and saying it's too basic and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, but it's not made for you. You're seeing it because the algorithm has served it to you. That's how social media works. Mm. But it wasn't made for you. It's made for someone who doesn't know even one-tenth of what you know. It's the basics. It's the intro. It's the easy stuff. But so we as an industry are too busy arguing about that. We're too busy looking at each other who are skilled people and shit-mouthing each other in ways of like, oh, I can't believe they said this, and and see the way that he didn't handle that dog. You know, like the basic stuff. Mm. Meanwhile, there's people who haven't got a fucking clue how to train dogs, and they're really good at the marketing. Their targeting's better, and they know how to make fancier content, and they can go by the wayside. They go unnoticed until it's too late because their content is so good, Mm. their production of it is so good that they serve so well to the social media side and to the average person side that they're selling, selling, selling. I think that's our big problem. I'm working this out in my head. It's why I'm kind of all over the place trying to explain it. Yeah, I know where you're going with it. But that's our big problem, I think, is that we're too busy fighting with each other when really we shouldn't be. Mm. Realistically, our problems are people that are on the peripheries And they're not in our community. They're not people that we're talking to day to day. They're people who are only dealing with their clients and ripping off their clients. And if we're sort of looking into each other and arguing that much with people who just do things a bit differently, then we're leaving out the people who are actually fucking up the dogs. This is one of the things. So at the ISCP conference, I took a photo of me, Ivan, Nino, and Tobias all together. Yep. That's a lot of different training styles. Yes, it is. Right? (laughs) And 
people that have quite strong followings. And there's some level of expectation that we're not meant to get along because we train dogs kind of differently, mm. just kind of differently. And that's fucking ridiculous. Did like, you feel that's like outrageous. A, did you feel like a wind build up when you all came together? Like cyclone. I grabbed to- all those guys. I was like, we have to go get a photo <laughs> together because, you know, we were talking like it's. The- no, what I'm talking about is as you all came together, did you feel like the elementals <laughs> no. and the, and the no. ground changing? And- no. Um, well, I, I was very drunk. <laughs> I can't speak for them, but I was very drunk. Yeah. But so my point is we are not people that should be arguing, and that's why I wanted to get a photo with everyone together because it's like we disagree on some different parts about way to train dogs, mm. right? It's pretty minor in the, in the scheme of things. Mm. But what we are into is – 99% similar. Yeah. Right. Or at least 90% similar. And so arguing at that level about who's marketing and who's like, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. Fucking outrageous. There's a lot of very insecure motherfuckers out in this industry. And even if you took all the dogs that are in the planet, you couldn't do them justice. Like you would literally cause more fucking havoc than what you could ever imagine. There's so many dogs. There's enough for everybody stacked from here to the moon. There's plenty of work for everybody out there. Exactly. The problem is not this training method versus this training method and whether these guys use low-level e-collar or whether they don't. Mm. That's the noise that's covering up the real problem of people who haven't got a fucking clue. Yeah. Not like- Ah, oh, the minute detail of the way you do things is different to the minute detail <laughs> of the way I do things. We're talking about people who could just bashing dogs into the ground yep. and are killing it advertising that they can do that or worse than, or not worse, but as bad as just bashing dogs into the ground, not training them at all. Yep. Right? Like turning up and saying like the loves and kisses that I'm going to give this dog are going to fix this giant aggression issue that you have mm. and just taking money from people time and time and time again and never actually helping them with their issue. And that's the real problems that we have. And I think as an industry, we get too focused in that, like we're all sort of the way you do things and this guy beat this guy in this competition and all that kind of stuff. We're worried about that nonsense rather than the actual pressing issues of- The lower end of it. Yeah. Like Mm. like people who- And so that's, that's my concern is like we're creating so much noise- that the real problems are sort of going unnoticed. Mm. Yeah, very good points. I feel like that's going to be hard for people to understand. Good luck editing that. I don't know how much you <laughs> because I'm, I'm literally thinking that through as I'm, as it's coming out of my mouth, but I haven't formulated very good thoughts around it. But it's hard to, right? Because there's so much happening in that space all the time. There's, yeah. there's so much evolution, chopping and changing. And like we said, you know, when you're watching some of the marketing out there, some of it I love, some of it I find very entertaining, but I also respect the person at the other end of it as well, because I know not only are they doing good work on their marketing side of it, but they're also doing a huge justice for the community. They're charging reasonably. They're giving good value for money to their clients. Their clients are coming away very well educated and very happy. I couldn't be happier for those type of people. I couldn't be happy for the community because it's providing something in that space that these people desperately need. Like they desperately need that. And that person fulfills everything and more. They're great when they're doing those sort of things. And as you listed and as Larry listed and uh, other people have listed in their level of concern, and this is why the passion comes out and this is why the anger comes out as well and the frustration comes out. When you're looking at that bottom end that you've just mentioned, you know, you can see people who are just disinterested in really offering value for money. Mm. It's just pretty much a fill my bank account and then make some YouTube clips around it because you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And, and when people don't know, people can market well and the algorithm supports those people and it gets out there. We've talked about in episodes where when that's your first introduction to the community, you don't know anything else you got a puppy, you're excited, you're searching for a trainer. This person comes up, you think, wow, 300,000 people looked at this person. Probably 200,000 are watching them because they know that person's a joke, Mm. you know, and they know that they're a horrible trainer and they're waiting to see what they'll do next. Their entertainment is watching this shit show unfold on their YouTube channel. Mm. But for the new puppy owner who sees 300,000, automatically they're overwhelmed. You know, Mm. they're, they're thinking, oh, my God, this person has got a massive following. You know, they're saying things that sound right. 
because they don't know what they don't know. Mm. They don't know that it's wrong. They don't know that this person is a rogue. They don't know that this person will horrendously overcharge them and undervalue everything that they really need. That's their introduction to life. Mm. Now, suddenly they've got a puppy that's misdirected immediately. The critical period is sabotage. Mm. And I'm not saying that's intent. I'm not saying it's intent. I'm just saying it could be purely done out of ignorance. For a lot of people, ignorance really is bliss. It's mm. a such a blissful state to be so fucking wildly ignorant. But people are happy when they're being paid for being ignorant because they don't have to develop themselves. They don't have to evolve more into the community. They don't have to establish a better network of what they're doing because they're already being paid. They're already being reinforced. Mm. They've already got what they wanted to get out of it. They're living their best life, so to speak. They're sitting at home throwing a couple of videos up, walking out to their shed out the back, training a couple of dogs, fucking them up, going back inside, dealing a little bit with the complaints and just giving people a bit of lip service. Who cares? In their mind, no harm, no foul. This person doesn't know what they don't know. They don't know that this is going pear-shaped for them until finally one day they reach out to somebody and they go down there and then they know what the difference between poor quality and high quality is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I think- we as an industry are too busy pointing out outrage at the low hanging fruit mm. of like, oh, I see what you're doing. I've trained with you and I trained differently. So therefore I'm mad at you. Mm. When really the issue is people who are like, you don't know what you're doing at all. Yep. It's not like you've misinterpreted this particular thing or me and you do things. It's like, you don't know what you're doing at all. Mm. You're just fucking up dogs full stop. You're just stealing from people. You really shouldn't be in this space at all. And they're the ones that we, like we seem to have blinders on and don't get involved with. There are other people out there who are incredible trainers. I know them, you know them, they're really good people. And yet new dog trainers would probably not do themselves a service going to them because they're too far above where they need to be and they don't regulate down. They're sort of hovering at a higher level where they're not really established for the lower end people. You know, it's kind of like the GP versus the specialist. Mm. Some people don't need to go straight to the specialist. There's no need to do it. They could have easily gone to a GP and probably gotten exactly what they needed to right there in that point. Let me ask you a question because you're a military guy. Would a field medic cut a limb off on the field? If they have to. Yep. But generally speaking, in those sort of situations, if they can get them back to the hospital, yeah. they get them back to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if there's nothing else there, yeah. right? I mean, if they have to do a horrible job of it right yeah. there and then. Well, like a medic's job is just to keep you alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in most sort of situations, like if they can get you back to somebody who's more competent to do the work, you know, they will like do what you said. They'll patch you up. They'll give you something to take away the pain temporarily and they'll get you back to the field hospital. They get you back there and hopefully there's a team of surgeons in there who can do a much better job and clean you up and get you on the on the right path again. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I think about that in training aspects because there's a lot of people who go to the specialist and the specialist just says, why come to me? Mm. You're not ready for me yet. I can be a part of that pathway for you, but at this point in time, go to this person. But again, they don't know what they don't know. Mm. You know, again, they're being marketed towards this person or they're seeing a lot of traffic going towards this person. And I have had people before that have done online courses with other people and thought and come back to me privately and or come back to another trainer and there's been a discussion around it where they've gone, I think they're really good, but I don't know what they're saying. Mm. Okay, they're talking in a language that I don't yet understand. Yeah. And when you are doing training theory and you're talking about the high-end psychology and training theory, and for people out there who are toffing at this now and go like that, to people who don't understand what operant conditioning is, who don't understand Pavlovian, who don't understand the matrix of motivation, who don't understand continuous and variable reinforcement, all of that just sounds like I spoke Klingon, mm. you know, when they don't understand that. If anyone's done university before and they've done, you know, an introduction to psychology at high school, of course they're going to understand it. But to people who don't have that level of schooling, who don't have that desire yeah. or who did it and forgot about it, automatically, you know, they're a little disenfranchised. It's a language that's not common to them. Yeah. So they may not be ready for that exceptional trainer who is value for money and who can take you to high places. They may not just be ready for them. Yeah. So I think that's an honourable mention that's got to be said. You know, because I was listening to Larry talking about it, how he primarily nominates himself as – 
and I don't mean any disrespect for, from saying this, but he he kind of talks about himself like he's a trainer for the average Joe. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie Dodgeball? Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of like the guys from the average Joe gym <laughs> where he's versus Globo gym and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Larry sort of proclaimed himself as that sort of person. that He's the guy for the average guy. Yeah. When there's language out there that can't be interpreted well, he breaks it down and he talks about it at a street level where he can say to people, mm-hmm. when you heard this trainer talking about this, this is what they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, at a level that you would understand how to say that. And I appreciate that he's doing things like that because there are times where people have listened to this show and they've come back and said, you know, like I've heard you and Pat talking about this. Can I just ask for clarification? Mm-hmm. Because they have not been exposed to that level of learning theory yet. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I heard it, I remember the first time, you know, I had Boyd and Dr. Robert Holmes and uh, all these people who were talking learning theory and I thought, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Now I caught on because I asked questions. I came out, I was forward and I said to Boyd, that doesn't make sense to me. What are we talking about? And he explained it to me and he gave me a book to read and he said, read this book. This is a book that I learned from. You need to read this and you need to digest it. When you've got questions, write them down and give them to me and we'll talk about it further. So I did. I read about it and still I had a shitload more questions, but we got to sit down and chew it out until I walked away and thought, oh, right, now it makes sense to me. Now I understand how it all falls into place. But I also understood round one. Mm. Then you have to understand round two and then round three because there are multiple rounds in this or levels to it where you level up your understanding. And there are still times where you have an epiphany at something. Like you'll understand a theory and you, you kind of get it and then you'll see it in practice and then you see it taking place alongside somebody's descriptor of it and you think, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it means. Now I've seen it come to fruition. You know, I've seen the pathway evolve before my eyes. Mm. Still 30 years in, like I openly proclaim to people, I don't know it all. Every seminar I do, that's one of my slides I have up on the screen, is I said, this is a bunch of qualifications that I have. These are real things that I've done. I've got photos and videos to back it up. Here's me in overseas with the UAE. Here's me doing this. But I don't know it all. There are things that even younger people than me who have been in it less time than I do have really specialized and immersed themselves in different fields who I would ring them up and say, can you show me what you did? Mm. And you have to. If your fucking ego gets in the way of doing that, you're only doing every, you're doing yourself, your dog, the community, everyone a massive disservice. So I really appreciate people who do things like that for other people, who break it down, who spend time. I'm going to say this openly on air. Like there were things where Bart was talking in Napopo and you and him had spent more time together. And just Bart's Bartisms, the way he says things and the way he talks with his terms and definitions, like you really immersed yourself in him and understood what he said. And there were times where I said to you, mate, I don't understand, like the monkey drills thing when he first did that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what the fuck is a monkey drill? <laughs> you know, and you explained it to me and I thought, oh, exactly. Okay, now I, I get it. But there was no explanation to that at the start. You were yeah. just like dropped in the middle of the pool and Bart was giving us a test on if the dog does monkey drills, what is this? Yeah. And I'm thinking, holy shit, what is that? But you knew what it was. Yeah, I was yeah. able to come to you and say, hey, mate, you've spent time with Bart. What's a monkey drill? Yeah. And you said, oh, you know, it's the basic sit drops and stands and so forth. And I went, ah, yeah. oh, right, of course. Yeah. But had I not had an interpreter for that, that would have really given me some brain damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it's a heavy topic. It is a heavy topic, and it is one that will continue to happen no yeah, matter what. it's not changing. It won't change. I can promise you this. This topic and very similar ones like this have happened since I got in the industry. Yeah. It's not going to change overnight, and people aren't going to suddenly love each other and sing Kumbaya around a campfire together. That's not going to happen. Yeah. We are trying to change the world. We are trying to raise the bar. We are trying to get people to talk to each other, and we are trying to get the communities to stop fucking each other over. It's not an easy task. People are competitive. People are insecure. People get paranoid about things, even high levels. It's amazing some of the high-level dog trainers who are so paranoid and they're so overwhelmed so easily. It's incredible to think that some people at that level would still be that insecure. Mm. Mate, I've been insecure at times. I can openly tell people on air I've been insecure. I've been, I've seen it, and especially when you start to transition. I've talked about that before, like becoming the – the hot property at the time and then transitioning to older guys and younger guys coming in, Mm. you know, like you came in the market, you blew the socks off a lot of people because you came out quickly and suddenly just emerged, but you really immersed yourself in, in a lot of things. 
that can be seen as threatening. People can get overwhelmed by that type of thing. It happens. But it's it's supposed to happen. Mm. It has to happen. There has to be an evolution where we're promoting young, talented people to come into the industry and do well and promote them and protect them because they're the future. And then they will teach the next generation where it's supposed to happen again. It has to happen. That has to be something that we embrace, that we love the people for doing that and saying, thank you, I'm getting older, I'm getting in, you know, I'm getting into a stage where in another 10 years I'll probably be in retirement for all this and you're the next generation and then you will teach the next generation under that and so on and so on. Mm. That's the way a legacy is carried on and that's what we want in an industry. When we have our time, we want people to look fondly on us and say they created a legacy and now this person is maintaining it and growing it themselves, like they're adding their own nuances to it, mm-hmm. you know. They're developing other things and they're taking us into another area where people really didn't consider before. New science has come out, new understandings about learning theory and how the mind works and so forth. And these people are now inputting this into the program. Fabulous. I can't tell you how exciting that sort of stuff is. The industry will always be sceptical of each other. The industry will always be a little fragmented and so forth. But I think as long as we can go on that trajectory where we're looking at it in saying that even though there is this fragmentation that goes on, we're still pushing the bar up. Yeah. And if you're making progress and it's going up a little further time and time again and you're pushing up a little higher, that's still a landmark that you're fulfilling a a better prophecy than just a, a train wreck. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard yeah, and do that not in the low-hanging fruit of you train a bit differently to me. Yeah. Do it in regards to like you are bucking up dogs or you're not training them at all or you're ripping people off rather than just like I would prefer that you did things a little bit differently because mm. that's uh, that's where our, most of our arguments are happening and it's it's wasted time and it's it creates – noise that covers up the the real problems that we have yep this isn't where we (laughs) i know we had another topic in mind like usual (laughs) all right hey oh that's it another episode of the cat of paradigm yep as always if you like what you hear just like rate share subscribe tell a friend go on to our marketing (laughs) yeah fall into our marketing funnel <laughs> we don't really overmarket ourselves a lot, really, on the on the grand scape of things. I'd say that's laziness related yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> or inability, really, with our, yeah. all our other gigs that we've got going yeah. on. Like, yeah. this is our side hustle, not yeah. our main gigs. But I think it, it is important to remember that I think that, and Larry did bring that up, but it's just because someone's doing a lot of marketing doesn't mean they're the problem. Mm-hmm. It's people who are marketing bullshit, like who are – selling a skill set that they don't have. Absolutely. That's the issue. Absolutely. It's not people who are just marketing. And I think that's super important to stipulate because like if you're in business, you fucking should be marketing yourself. You have to. You should be. You have to. You must. Yeah. You still got a family to, to provide for and like a life to have. Yeah. And if you're a skilled person, you fucking deserve it. Yeah. And you should embrace it with both hands and run with it. And you bloody well deserve it. Yeah. But so don't the- be embarrassed about that and don't suffer imposter syndrome if you're the real deal. Yeah. And well, sell the skill set that you have, mm. right? Like that's the thing. Yeah, sell, exactly. Sell yeah. the skill set you have. Yep, I agree. So support the show. Yeah. Go into <laughs> our marketing funnel through Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Jump into Patreon, a few bucks a month, blah, 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 all of that. Yeah. The way you really can market us is a T-shirt. Yep. Get a T-shirt, get it in the spring, get a cool T-shirt. One thing that was a big deal for me, we were discussing this earlier, was at the ICP conference, how many people I saw wearing our T-shirts. Isn't that amazing? It, it is. Mm. I tried to sort of make sure that I thanked people and was sort of engaging with them as much as possible because it, it's outrageous. Like it's a huge thing to see people wearing your T-shirt that they bought, that they oh. went online, they paid their money, they had it shipped to them, and they're wearing it there proudly, displaying that they're a listener of the show. So that was a huge deal for me. If you were wearing one there, know that it was noticed and it made me feel really good. It's amazing to see it in your own country, but when you go overseas and you see it internationally yeah, and people hanging up our tapestries in their training centres and so mm. forth and sticking our stickers on their water bottles. and yep. Wearing our underpants and carrying around <laughs> their water bottles. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, I've got to admit something which is quite funny. I went for a ride the other day and I had a like a swag of stickers in my top box on my motorbike. Yeah. All of the places I was visiting, I was sticking stickers all over the place. Yeah. So literally- Guerrilla marketing. Exactly. So when people go to Outback New South Wales now and they go to the motorbike stops, <coughs> um, they will see a canine paradigm sticker there. Yeah. Bertie's husband, Dan, he saw one. I put one in the men's toilet at Ray Gums. <laughs> With, Kim's with your phone friend. number, yeah. yeah, yeah. With Kim's permission, the owner of Grey Gums, who's a beautiful lady and a and a dear friend, I asked her if I could. She said, "Yeah, of course you can." So um, I stuck one in there, and Dan saw it and took a picture and uh, sent it to funny. me. Mad, who is a, a former NDTF student, um, she's got a beautiful little toller puppy. Uh-huh. You know, Nad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nad saw my mate Scott, who's my riding buddy. She saw his van. And took a picture of it. Didn't know who it was, of course, but he's got it in the quarter panel of his car. Yeah, right. And she go. took a picture of it and sent it to me and said, hey, Glenn, I was driving down the road and I was so proud to see a TCP sticker on the car. There you go. It's out yeah, there. Yeah. I gave away a bunch of stickers while I was away. Yep. There'd be, you know, that would be a cool way to support the show. Take a little photo of that, put it on your Instagram story. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. That, that's some good marketing. That is some good marketing. Yeah, yeah we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it, guys. <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, you jump in the Facebook discussion group. We can market to you there. Yep. We could uh we <laughs> we can we can pitch to you in our discussion group. Yep. Or you could send us an email. We're info at the canineparadigm.com goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>